I mean, that's a pretty long list. Um, I think uh, while, while you were listening, I was just thinking we have sort of more communication on, on worker safety, um, more work to be done on improving sort of the industry scope three emissions, um, some, some work on worker retention in, in this industry as well. Um, partnering with other organizations on feed sustainability. There's a lot of things that you've already identified. The Sciencing Podcast, Season 1, Episode 7. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sciencing Podcast. I'm your host, Fazi Adam, Director of Sustainability at Ophonic Animal Nutrition. And we're really pleased to welcome you back after the summer break, and we have another fantastic guest lined up for you this time around. And something that always comes up, I think, when we're talking about sustainability on this podcast with all of the different guests that, that we've had come and join us, the theme of value chain and collaboration comes up again and again when we talk about how to progress sustainability goals in the food industry. And we're always on the lookout for more examples of innovators and leaders who've led successful projects like this. And this month, we are delighted to speak to the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Poultry and Eggs about the sustainability framework they developed and released last year. The U.S. RSP Sustainability Framework is the first ever multi-stakeholder sustainability reporting framework for the entire U.S. supply chains for chicken, turkey, and eggs, all the way from the producer to the final customer. And today, we're incredibly lucky to have US RSPE's Executive Director, Ryan Bennett, join us to talk about why they developed the framework, what the learnings have been one year after its release, and how they hope to continue using it in the future. So Ryan has a wealth of stakeholder engagement experience in different aspects of the animal protein industry. Um, Before joining US RSPE in 2018, Ryan worked with the National Milk Producers Federation, where he managed the National Dairy Farmers Assuring Responsible Management Program, which evaluates animal care, antibiotic use, environmental stewardship, and worker health and safety for 98% of the US milk supply. Prior to this, Ryan managed the Federation's government relations work, where he brought together diverse stakeholders to find new ways to finance on-farm conservation projects. So I'm really looking forward to learning from Ryan today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And in case any of our listeners aren't familiar with um, US RSP, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what the organization does. So um, I live right outside of Washington, D.C. Went to college uh, at Kansas State University, um, but grew up on a farm. And uh, when I moved back to D.C., it was really quite frankly, the mindset that um, those in government don't understand agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of a defying moment for me coming out of college. And um, obviously, I did government relations. I was a registered lobbyist for seven or eight years um, and, you know, enjoyed my time doing that. But as I learned more, I I've kind of figured out that things are not maybe changing at least in the u.s from the point of view of government and it seems like more pressure you know like i said at least in the u.s market is coming you know through that supply chain um from retail and food service companies from act activists from investors um applying more pressure to the industry and so 
I felt like it was a good opportunity to switch maybe a little more into the sustainability animal welfare space, uh, do more education there and really try and bring supply chains together in terms of understanding one another um, and their individual pressures. Because one thing we noticed, obviously, through our framework process that I know we're going to talk about here shortly is um, some things that are very important in one segment in the supply chain might not be as important to the others and vice versa. You know, we're multi-stakeholder and um, and really try and do things together as a full supply chain, whatever it takes from A to Z in terms of getting that chicken or egg or turkey onto the plate. So um, anyways, that's a little bit about my background and what the roundtable is and how we operate. Um, but, uh, in general, I think, you know, where you're seeing more pressures through that supply chain with some of the people who are doing the pressuring that I already mentioned. So, um, I think I made the right decision. Okay. Yeah. Great. It certainly sounds like it. I mean, one of the things that we're constantly hearing from, from our customers in the industry is that they would love to see more value chain alignment on sort of the things the what well, what their priorities should be when it comes to sustainability to welfare and I think through what um, the roundtable is doing what the international poultry welfare alliance is doing um, you're really making some some good progress towards that so I, I guess that brings me yeah, to my next question then I mean can you tell us a bit about what the framework is, how it works, and and why you developed it. Yeah, I mean, and when I go to IPPE, basically I look around, I walk around, the term sustainability is the buzzword nowadays. Um, and I think that's, you know, fine in, in many cases that, that we're talking about sustainability more, but it's become, I think, a little bit of a nebulous term that's confusing to people. And one of the first questions that we got a lot when we started is, what is sustainability? And we kind of looked to our mission and vision statement that um, we had put together in the beginning and, you know, really ended up defining it, you know, in more of a typical lens of being, you know, economically viable, socially responsible and, and environmentally sound. Um, so then from there, it's, it's, well, what does that mean to the poultry supply chain? What does that mean to chickens, uh, turkeys, layers, um, and how do we define it? And so we did, you know, a materiality assessment. So what, what's important to us or what do we impact the most? Um, and ended up coming up with, I think, of 15 different indicators that fall into uh, three, three pillars and really try and figure out, you know, where we want to now focus our continuous improvement efforts as an organization. We can't do all uh, 15 or 100 different metrics. We can't focus on all of that. And by the way, obviously, we're doing really well in a lot of those different areas. So it doesn't make sense to use our time and resources on it. Um, mm -hmm. But now we're kind of starting the process of moving from uh, building measurement to implementing measurement from moving into a phase of now implementing measurement to continuous improvement. Where are we going to focus our efforts as an organization to try and advance sustainability and hopefully see some of those numbers coming back to us through the framework, um, you know, improve over time. 
And that's really important because, I mean, I think a lot of multi-stakeholder organizations, you know, always make the effort to reach out to their members to get continuous feedback on what's important. But with this really qualitative structured assessment, then you have a really excellent database to draw on and see what's really needed, right? We're also at the same time now putting down our stake of we're going to focus on X, Y, and Z for the next three years in terms of continuous improvement. Um, mm-hmm. So it won't just be, you know, just measurement. I mean, obviously, we're focused on truly making things more sustainable and continuous improvement. So now we're we're really looking at how we can help our members improve in some key areas that we're identifying through the data coming back via the framework. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it sounds like you had a lot of surprises, I guess, when when you sort of got the data back, which is interesting, actually. I mean, what if you had to pick out sort of a couple of things, were, were there any things that went exactly as you expected? And sort of what was your biggest surprise? You know, there really is a lot more going on in terms of sustainability, very complex problems that the industry has already figured out that maybe they just didn't call sustainability before. And we just need to show that we're doing those things and at least have them, you know, as some empirical data point that we took at some point in time proof that we're A, doing these things, and B, it's also really interesting, um, all of the work that, you know, an individual, individual industry has done over time to solve some of these problems. So um, anyhow, didn't really truly surprise, like, like, um, if we didn't have things that came up, that would be more scary than if we did. Um, you know, so, <laughs> um, this is supposed to be a challenging thing. It's supposed to be um, something that ignites conversations within a company and ignites conversations within an industry. So I really think, though, um, you know, probably within the next two or three years, we're going to be really button down in terms of where we're going. And that's consistent with other programs I've worked on in the past um, to where when they first launch, you have some things that you're tweaking, you're figuring out what works for people, what you need. Um, And then it's really, you know, kind of pretty set in stone with just very minor revisions in the future. So that's kind of how I see the measurement. Continuous improvement, on the other hand, is kind of the one thing I know we're going to hopefully talk a little bit about a little bit more, but um, that's kind of the one that you know can take a lot of twists and turns and be very interesting and and will always be something that we do. I, we'll never reach mm-hmm. we'll never reach a hundred percent. We'll never be happy with where we are from a sustainability perspective. So I'm also very excited about moving into that phase of the organization as well. So what's next then? So how will you sort of use, I guess maybe now you have a good baseline of data or how will, how do you plan to use that going forward to really drive tangible improvements in the industry? I think that we have um, some work to do, especially communicating about HR and safety initiatives within the industry. So um you know, I've read a lot of articles and things like that, that, that made me really want to kind of kick the tires and dive into things more mm-hmm. in terms of 
of what the industry is doing. Um, and, and I think that, you know, from my perspective, there's things that, you know, people need to do better always. Like I said, continuous improvement as a thing, but I think that industry is actually doing more on worker HR and safety than maybe what people realize. Um, but it's become such a heated issue that they almost, I think, have a hard time opening themselves up to speaking about it. I really want to get more growers at the table um, in terms of, you know, speaking openly about um, where they're at, what pressures they're feeling, what opportunities they could see if things were done in a certain way. I think there's a lot of work good work being done by some integrators with their kind of grower groups, some neat pilots and things going on. But if we could get to a point to where we could kind of build a roadmap of, Hey, this is how you work with a full supply chain to ultimately work with a grower to implement some new sustainability practice or way of doing things. I think that is of very much importance and is something within our strategic plan to have a grower council uh underneath mm -hmm. of the round table um greenhouse gas emissions is every single industry has to worry about greenhouse gas emissions now yeah. um you know i think we get a lot of pressure on it because a lot of people think of meat and poultry kind of synonymously um and you know i'm i know that we can do better but i i think we've got a really good track record when you look at the greenhouse gas emissions of chicken and you look at the greenhouse gas emissions of turkey and of eggs, you know, we feel like it's a, a, a low carbon, you know, high quality protein option for people. Uh, but we still need to get better there. And we also need to figure out how to measure things better, especially from a scope three level. And then you mentioned, you know, our sister organization that I also run, um, Animal Welfare, uh, is going to continue to be a big thing. And so we're looking at partnering you know, even more with International Poultry Welfare Alliance, um, who has a really neat outcomes-based animal welfare tracking strategy that kind of is similar to the framework, but from just an animal welfare perspective, that um, no matter where you're raising birds in the world, no matter what production system you're in, you can track your animal welfare um, and the outcomes of that welfare that hopefully breeds a lot of innovation in that space. The last one is a big one, and I'm glad that I remember this, is we are looking at partnering with some of our feed, uh, our folks working on feed sustainability. So like iFeeder and Field to Market would come to mind. iFeeder um, is a foundation out of the American Feed Industry Association. And then Field to Market is um, a lot of different people at the table, but basically getting back to, you know, uh, the growing of crops um, and the sustainability mm -hmm. with that. So anyhow, that's, um, it's a lot of different issues, but like I said, we don't have to do it all on our own. We are focusing a lot on collaborating, coordinating. Um, and then, I, and then I think there's a space and I'd like to get to this is, um, there's a space for innovators, whether that be a startup company or a very well-established multinational company like Ivonic. Um, so there's a space for that to bring things to the marketplace that I think um, can help us, you know, improve from a sustainability perspective or tell and or tell a better story. So that would be some of the ones. 
that we're working on. I mean, that's a pretty long list. Um, I think uh, while, while you were listening, I was just thinking we have sort of more communication on, on worker safety, um, more work to be done on improving sort of the industry scope three emissions, um, some, some work on worker retention in, in this industry as well. Um, partnering with other organizations on feed sustainability. There's a lot of things that you've already identified. So it sounds like you've made some some pretty good progress with identifying a lot of next steps. Um, I mean, there are so many different types of organizations that that are part of the roundtable membership, so many different stakeholders that can make use of the framework. I mean, and just as a, a, I guess, a final point, what would your sort of call to action then to to all of the roundtable stakeholders be? What, what would you urge people to do next? Yeah, so, I mean, speaking from an Ivanic, like to Ivanic and, and their employees and people that listen to this, I feel very strongly that we are a place for you, a safe place for you to bring innovation, uh, for you to bring ideas, um, that we can put into action. Once again, you know, I'm sure in terms of production efficiency, which by the way, we're fans of, we have it as a metric within the framework, but I'm sure you know a lot about those things. And I'm sure you care about the other issues that we have, but if you can figure out how to promote a product that has ancillary benefits beyond just production efficiency, or even just beyond just simple carbon calculations, like I mentioned, animal welfare or something that's going to help from an odor perspective, you know, with feeding a product that might be able to help. Um, We want to be a place that you feel comfortable coming to, but we're going to obviously care about, you know, a broad list of things. But the more that we can figure out ways to help people figure out those ancillary benefits of a product or thinking about things um, from yes, of course, always a financial lens, but trying to solve problems that maybe, maybe are, you know, in, maybe you're improving production efficiency in this, or maybe it's not mm-hmm. a production efficiency type of thing, but can help somebody solve a problem that they're having or a potential problem that they're having in another area. So that's what I was kind of talking about with the innovator space, um, you know, if we want to run pilot projects or if we want to get, you know, you all in front of a committee and ultimately in front of um, our group to talk about your your place in the sustainability world, you know, that's something that I want to do. I want to build a place for that. Not as a means as of kind of a cheesy sales sort of things, but as truly more of like a, a vetting educational type of thing to um, to really show people the the great innovative products that are coming to market or might already be within the market that mm-hmm. have a positive sustainability impact that people don't even know about or understand. Uh, I really like that suggestion, Ryan. Thank you. And I think it fits really well with what we're hearing from our customers, our value chain partners as well. Um, we, we hear a lot of calls for more sort of education, I guess, on the more holistic benefits that the animal nutrition industry can bring to to the wider animal protein value chain. So I think your proposal to try and create that kind of space 
where where companies can come together to raise awareness of some of the solutions that can impact some of these problems is is a really nice one. Um, so yeah, let's let's definitely see if we can make it happen. Um, that, would be, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, thank you so much for, for your time today. It's been really, really interesting to hear just how much the, the roundtable has managed to achieve with the sustainability framework. And I think 18 months since it was launched, more or less. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. <laughs> yeah, more or less 18 months. And you already have a number of different focus areas. You've already identified where the industry is doing well, where the industry needs to do better. And it sounds like you've got some really exciting plans to make that happen. So thank you so much for, for coming and sharing that with us today. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you to our listeners and enjoy the rest of the day. So this is the end of our podcast today. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode. To know more about Ivanic Animal Nutrition, visit www.animal-nutrition.ivonic.com. The Science in Podcast is a production of Ivonic Animal Nutrition. A blue planet. Almost 8 billion people and rising, especially in Asia and Africa. There will be almost 10 billion of us by 2050. But it's not just the population that is growing, prosperity is too and with it rises the demand for meat. The more prosperous the population, the greater the demand. Since 2000, the international meat market has increased by 110 million tons. Chicken is the most consumed meat in the world. It takes around a kilo of soya to produce one kilo of poultry meat, plus other animal feeds. What can we do to counter this trend? As individuals, we can consume meat more consciously. As producer, one approach is to rely on low-protein diets for livestock. Feeds that are lower in protein can help protect resources. Protein is made up of amino acids, and animals need these. But feeding too much protein is damaging for both the animal and the environment. The level of protein in feeds can be reduced before adding specific amino acids, such as methionine. This ensures that animal diets are balanced and healthy, while at the same time protecting the environment. For example, the use of soya in poultry could be reduced by at least 15%, and soya could be almost eliminated in pork production. Measured by the global poultry population alone, this would mean 17 million metric tons less soybean meal, equal to 6 million hectares less land used for soya farming. That is equivalent to 1.5 times the size of Switzerland. This would enable us to remain at the same level of soya production for the next 20 years, despite the increase in the global population. No need for additional farmland. No carbon emissions from burning forests. No monocultures. Less use of fertilizers. Less water consumption. Biodiversity is retained ecosystems remain balanced. All of this is already possible today, with amino acids and feed solutions from Evonik. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Evonik. Leading beyond chemistry.